0: In this world that is very male dominated, I've had to be really tough to balance motherhood and being on this stage. It just reminds me of who I really am.
1: Hello, welcome to the extra credits of Beyonce's Renaissance and Todd Haynes' May December. I'm Trey. And I'm Kelsey. So today we were going to record an episode about the career of Ridley Scott Mm -hmm. and explore some through lines in his work and then discuss what we liked about Napoleon and maybe a little bit and go into the uh, historical fiction controversy Mm -hmm. surrounding that film. But we had a pretty wild weekend. We had a great uh, (laughs) movie experience Saturday night. We had a a very odd movie experience Friday night. Completely different movie experiences, but still really interesting ones that we've been talking about for the past few days now. And those experiences were watching May, December on Netflix Friday night and then consuming the very odd discourse around the movie this whole weekend. And then we watched Beyonce's Renaissance in theaters on Saturday, which was an incredible theater experience.
0: Agreed, I think that you know we had such a great time uh at Beyonce, and mm-hmm. we had such a different reaction to like a lot of people on May, December, yeah, and so we were like, let's just do let's jump on the mics and like do a pod. We'll push Napoleon,
1: yeah, we can talk about what worked and didn't work for us in both of those films, but let's talk about programming updates first for December for both the main feed and the Patreon. It is still Ridley Scott season, yes, so we just <laughs> covered my favorite nightmare. Alien, a movie full of big ideas and small spaces, a truly great and exciting episode, and a movie that I know we have to revisit one day in the future because I, <laughs> I left out so many things after that episode. Yeah, I felt that way about Social Network too.
0: I felt that way about Social Network. I didn't feel that way about Alien. Um, but okay. I, <laughs> I know that you love Alien. I actually yeah. felt like because I was just so tired, like I had gotten you know like such little sleep that week. Yeah, that there were some like you know just like weird branches of conversation from my end. so
1: It was fun. Uh, but for the month of December, we have the following episodes. Napoleon, mm-hmm. Blade Runner, Poor Things, Anatomy of a Fall, Maestro, and then possibly Ferrari, and possibly Chalamet and Wonka. Yeah. And then our Living Plus members on our Patreon Extra extra Credits Plus feed uh, just voted for our holiday episodes that will release at the end of the month, which based on the vote, Looks like it will be Steven Spielberg's Catch Me If You Can. And then Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Wow. How do you feel about that?
0: I mean, that's exciting.
1: It's stressful, too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> They're
1: masterpieces. They're so, some of the best movies of the past 20 years.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, Catch Me If You Can is like a great low-key Christmas movie. Yeah. And, I and you know, Phantom Thread is more like a New Year's.
1: Well, I think that's when we should drop them. Like, you know, like that holiday time yeah. right around that week. That's a good idea. Those are good picks listeners. Good job, everybody. There was a lot of good movies to choose from, but those are two of the best ones they could have picked. Uh, okay. So what about other movies? Are, any, are there any other movies you want to touch on in December?
0: Uh, you know, I feel like I definitely want to talk about passages. We oh, didn't really get a yeah. chance to talk about that. And, uh, for listeners, if you want to like prep before listening to that, cause it, it will come out at one point,
1: um, it's streaming on Mubi, I think. It's on
0: Mubi. Yeah. yeah, Which and is then, a streaming service. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then also like maybe the holdovers, we've gotten a, a few requests to talk about that.
1: Yeah, we have gotten a few requests. We like that movie, but yeah, we were a little bit, you know, it, we felt a little complicated on it relative to critics, it seems. Yeah. Um, that's a great idea, though. We should do that. We're also seeing Miyazaki's uh, Boy and the Heron this week. And depending on early screenings, we might also be seeing The Taste of Things, The Zone of Interest, and Follow... Fallen Leaves in this the next week? few weeks. No, oh, in the next like, few weeks, oh not, not all God. this week.
0: I was like, we didn't do our like weekly meeting no, uh, yeah. like we usually do today <laughs> with our Google Calendar. Our Google and like, Calendar, what?
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of films coming out in December and January. But yes, agreed on passages and agreed on the holdovers. Uh, so that's all a rough draft of what our December could look like. I'm obviously very busy right now at school before break. Kelsey, you have finals with yes. your PhD yeah. coming up. Um, so we're going to try and record some episodes during weird times and we'll get them out to you this month for new releases and maybe some episodes structured like this one today with two movies and one episode to take over the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the very least I can confirm we will have two Ridley Scott episodes in a row on the feed very soon. That's going to be on the Scott project and Napoleon in one episode and then Blade Runner on the next. Okay. Let's do this. Which film should we start with? Should we discuss um, the...
0: We haven't done this really We've in never a while. really done this. It's been a
1: year or yeah. so since we've done two movies like this on yeah. one episode. I think
0: we should definitely save Beyonce for last.
1: I agree. Let's do yeah. the more complicated one. So May, December. We just watched Todd Haynes' newest film, May, December, on Friday night. I've only seen it once, which has been blowing up in film circles on Letterboxd, on Twitter. The scores are really high across the board for this film. Critics seem to really love it. yeah. I know it's in the discussion for tons of Oscar nominations right now, and it might be the film that Netflix pushes come award season, which is interesting because of Bradley Cooper's Maestro yeah. coming out in like two or three weeks. But apparently critics were, you know, mixed on that film. Okay. and Obviously, we're going to see it very soon. So I was pretty excited for May, December, not just because of Haynes, but also because it stars Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, two actors who I like quite a bit who are both famous for how fearless they are in playing complicated Mm -hmm. characters, like really flawed people. And they both seem really interested in elevated, psychologically traumatic roles, like not easy roles and stories. And May, December is no different. Portman produced this film. She brought the script to Haynes and Portman loved Haynes's film safe. And so she obviously wanted more as her co-star. So this film is based on a true story if listeners haven't seen it yet, it is a tragic movie that has a very distancing approach in the filmmaking. There is something detached about it, a little bit voyeuristic yeah, about the framing, I think is the best word. And also, obviously, in that technical choice, there's something unsettling and discomforting about the technical choices that I think intentionally conflict with the positioning of the camera and the frame and the blocking. Like, for example... The movie uh, will keep you at arm's length throughout it, but even like really at the beginning, quite a lot. And there are these slow zoom-ins and pans with some like eerie yet darkly funny piano drops.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
1: I think the, uh, the piano drops add to this film feeling like a mystery in moments. So you really don't know how to watch this movie like 30 minutes into it. Mm-hmm. And it is a little bit confusing about how to watch it like in its genre, and its structure. But I'm assuming... Uh, based on the music and the score and how important the score is to the film, I'm assuming if you broke the film into chapters based on the piano keys, then maybe the artistic intentions would reveal themselves a little bit clearer. But after only seeing it once, this is just kind of our instant reaction to the movie for listeners. Yeah. Uh, so again, I recommend you go see it if you haven't. But I do think the score is pretty special because it is paramount to the movie working for fans. So I kind of like the collaboration between the script and the score. It, But ultimately, it really is like a very technically, impressive yet puzzling movie to me. And I am, I'm assuming that was probably the mission of Haynes, considering the subject matter being so tragic and devastating and uh, kind of about being an exploited story in popular culture because it's mm-hmm. based out of a, a real-life event. So, yeah, I think the movie accomplishes uh, matching this kind of real-life tragedy with this complex technical tension, in regards to how it's constructed with like these contradictory technical choices that in- inform sort of a, a deliberately unsettling atmosphere. What did you think about those technical choices at the beginning? Cause I did feel, I do think the goal was to distance me, but I definitely felt distanced like yeah. after the first act.
0: Yeah. If listeners are like, why didn't Kelsey say anything for just so long there? I was letting Trey get the positives out of the way, to be honest. Um, okay. Wow. I really, really <laughs>
1: going to drag this movie.
0: <laughs> no, no. Okay. I think that like, I, I guess like, I will say like, yeah, go watch it, you know, um, to be in on the conversation and, uh, you know, like I, I also like think that some people really did enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. So I also don't want to like dismiss anyone and your opinion, you know right. what I mean? But personally I felt like, well, I th- I do think like the technical choices were interesting. Um, and I love Mm-hmm. I just, and also like, it does have an interesting theme, right? It's looking at this idea of like exploitation, like tabloid culture. Yes. Um, Sensationalism. And, yeah, yeah. And and like kind of like exploitative stories. And, um, but at the same time, like I just felt, um, like number one within that theme, it actually didn't really accomplish what it set out to do. Okay. It felt like it was like more nuanced than it actually was. Um, like it was more honest and like yeah. uh, pressing of a story than it actually was. And like, while it was a, a, like a tragic story and again, it had like an interesting theme. Um, it just didn't like accomplish what it set out to do, I think. And I think, okay. it and I really think it felt like it did.
1: It definitely felt like it accomplished its goal. I could feel the confidence at the end of the film. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Let's unpack that a little bit. Let's talk about the themes then you just touched on them. Like this this idea of the movie exploring the economics of sensationalism, which is really interesting to me. It it does this on a few fronts. First, by exploring like an American culture's obsession with spectacle. Like um, The screenplay, if people don't know, is by a first-time screenwriter, Sammy Birch, who was a casting director on the Hunger Mm -hmm. Games franchise, uh, which this is pretty wild for this to be your first screenplay because it is so layered and complex. Um, It is really focused on trying to interrogate a lot of things, but interpersonal power dynamics and like psychological abuse specifically to do with age. And so the film frames a few of these characters, if not many of these characters, as predators. One being very obvious and others being less obvious. But I think outside of that obvious predator commentary, the movie is mainly invested again in that sensationalism and like where this predatory behavior may stem. Mm -hmm. Like where does it grow from? Which I believe the movie is like trying to say by the end of the film that it is confidently saying that predatory behavior is a symptom of an American culture and an American market system that normalizes predatory behavior. Mm -hmm. So I think the film is like trying to present predators uh, and, and try to present clear victims or survivors that the movie has deep empathy for at the same time. But I think critics have missed that part. I think critics have mainly kind of focused on the victim-survivor aspect of this movie, but I think this movie is trying to also, which is tough, sympathize with some of the predator figures as victims to cycles of trauma, but also like victims to like a larger systemic issue, like specifically Julianne Moore's character, Gracie, Mm -hmm. which is a quite complicated character based off a real-life person. The movie kind of presents this horrific spectrum of predators through her and uh, also tries to add quietly exploitative people on that spectrum too. For example, someone that I pointed out that I uh, wrote in my notes, when we were watching this the first time on Friday night was Gracie's first husband Mm -hmm. who says that I think he's at a, he's getting coffee with Natalie Portman's character. And he says that he dated Gracie when she was in high school and he was in college. And then he subtly says that they got married when they graduated implying when he graduated college and then she graduated high school And then Barry herself, obviously, after this point, becomes a predator. And then, like, as we know, if people are familiar with the story in real life, American pop culture and the tabloids profit off of this real-life tragedy from there on. So, I think the screenplay is trying to kind of look at this spectrum of exploitation uh, in a really nuanced way. But it's it's very complicated.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, it is complicated, but I think it's because the story um, confuses things or makes things more mm-hmm. complicated. Yeah. Sort of than they need, need be like, yeah, I do think like it is definitely like a complex story that they're trying to look at, but again, like it's not as nuanced as it thinks it is. Um, yeah. And that, that's like ultimately where I land on it because
1: I, it, I agree. Yeah. It has
0: to do with like number one, the storylines, um, that are just like, written and, and how they're portrayed. Mm-hmm. But, like, also, though, like, mainly a lot of, like, the tone and the pacing. Right. Um, That has been talked a, a lot about, like, on Twitter, if you're not plugged into this movie. I
1: never know if listeners are plugged into yeah. Twitter, if it's just <laughs> us or me.
0: Yeah, but we'll, we'll, I guess, like, fill you in on what's been happening. I will, yeah. Um, But there's been a lot of, like, conversation about, like, some people are like, I love this movie. It's so camp. There's this, like, piano score. And mm-hmm. uh there's like a knowing like humor about this like melodrama yeah. of the movie, right? And then basically like there have been things that have come out that the director is like, no, actually this is just melodrama. Yeah. And um American audiences have trouble like sitting with this. A professor, you, you can uh like talk about it a little bit more, but a professor sure. came out and was like, Hey, like actually American audiences have trouble sitting with kind of dramatic, um, maybe slower paced movies that are interrogating or looking at a certain like topic.
1: Yeah. And they don't know what to hold on to. Yeah. Right. And And so they search for things like irony or satire or absurdism and they grasp onto that word. And in this case, they use camp.
0: yeah. 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 And so like, regardless of how you read the movie, I genuinely think it was unsuccessful. <laughs> like I was like,
1: I think that's a, the kind of divisive reaction positively. Cause we're talking about people who love the movie, yeah, like people who love the movie saying it's camp and the people who love the movie too going, you don't understand the film. And I think when you start, start seeing that kind of divisive reaction between people who like the movie, that means probably something is unsuccessful. It's not always a symptom of media literacy of not being effective or like something not working in the audience's mind. Um, But yeah, I think what you're locating is that the movie has a challenge of trying to accomplish a lot. It's got a lot on its mind. Yeah. And I think it uses Natalie Portman's character, Elizabeth Barry, to even go a bit farther thematically and then really overwhelm itself because Elizabeth is this actress who is trying to basically make it. Um, She's trying to make it by playing Gracie in -hmm. a film, which is a comment, obviously, on the film industry and tabloids and media at large. So I think that was an effective idea that the movie had, but it was already so um, full of ideas that it was overwhelming it by the end of the film because it, it already shows how predatory behavior is monetized and even glorified or copied. And I think the movie is trying to go out of its way to now depict this uncomfortable monetization of exploitation and tragedy, not just through this like modern setting of tabloid magazine culture, but now like today's media landscape through Hollywood. And that's a lot. Yeah, it's just doing a lot. That's
0: a lot. Yeah. On its on its mind. I think like the, the thing is, is like I, I, what you said, maybe at the top is the biggest problem with it is like the tone because yeah. I and also I think kind of the way it's shot and I'm not really not trying to be like a, a hater or anything. And I again, if you like this movie, like cool, if honestly, if it n- didn't blow up, maybe mm-hmm. like how it has, we wouldn't even be talking about it. It would have been a movie no. that we watched and I would be like, okay, like I didn't really like that. I don't really feel much like Mm -hmm. about it. I, you know, I don't like actively like hate it or anything. I'm just like, Oh, like, you know, just like, wasn't for me. I didn't think it worked uh, next, yeah. but because it's blown up, I think it's just like interesting to talk about. Right. Too, because there are also people who, i've seen be like yeah this like wasn't for me and they're like no but you don't understand (laughs) like this is right and and i and so like no but i like personally like i do understand the like what the movie is trying to accomplish and i understand the like technical aspects that people do like Mm -hmm. i just like feel differently about especially like the piano um even if it's trying to be funny um and the the way it's shot is kind of like you know what i is like the best way to describe my feeling towards it and this is you know, I'm not trying to be insulting, but this is uh, what I feel like it's kind of like when you watch a show, um, that, you know, is like purposefully kind of like just for enjoyment. Do you know what I mean? Like some escapist. Yeah. Yeah. Show. Like the, yeah. the people making it like kind of know it's a little like maybe like campy or like a little Absurdist. bit like, yeah, you know, uh, audiences are watching this, like when they get home from work mm-hmm. and like just want to, you know, um, like chill a like, glass of wine show yeah. yeah so it felt like so i haven't watched all of um this but it felt like honestly like a Ginny and georgia kind of like vibe it felt like yeah. a like I, a big little lies actually does this like way better but it feels like kind of like a big little lies like um
1: a prestige mellow drama yeah. i mean that's what the movie's commenting on though too
0: i know but the way that it's shot and like it's like when you get to a certain episode that is like yeah. really boring. You okay. know what I mean? Like you get to like the sixth episode like the and you're like, aren't
1: in the same wow, set. this is like yeah. really like
0: <laughs> linger. They're like really put like pulling out the storyline. They're stretching it. Mm-hmm. And then also you're like kind of, um, it's like when they like do something else with a character that it's like, oh, well I feel like they just kind of extended this. Like why did that character do this? Yeah. Like that, that kind of energy was like, all in this movie (laughs) towards the end okay, and and especially in the Natalie Portman scene at the end, uh, the acting, the, I I understood what they were trying to do and the point they were trying to make, but the, like, where it was a realization for a character, Mm -hmm. but the kind of like acting was like off. I think it's supposed
1: to feel performative. It's supposed to feel heightened. Right. That's kind of the, that is a little bit of the point of the critique, but I understand what you're saying, which is that tonally, it still doesn't feel like it deserves that. And it's so knowing of its own success as a film, it feels kind of condescending in moments. And I think that's what you're, that you've been touching on that.
0: Well, yeah, maybe, maybe condescending isn't like the word it's like, um, but I know what you're, you're saying. You're saying like it, uh, some people might not like enjoy it because it's knowing that the audience knows what it's doing, right. There are very, very overt metaphors that the that the script and the like creators know that the audience already are going to understand. Right. And like, so they're, they're like kind of playing with this idea that the audience is also like ahead of the story. Exactly. And so they're, they're kind of making you wait, but there's also um like for, you know, different reveals and care in terms of like character development mm-hmm. um and in pacing. And it's kind of like a, you know, okay. Like Natalie Portman is getting to like no different details. And there's like kind of like a, a shift,
1: right, right, yeah, in
0: in both thematically um, and character-wise, that is supposed to reveal something, uh, maybe more more nuanced to you, right. And I just think I was
1: bored, yeah, yeah, yeah
0: you know, <laughs> like I was just bored.
1: No, that's really fair. I think. Here's where I I'm coming at it because I I think we have similar feelings on it. Somehow I feel like now I like it more than you do, but I we're <laughs> we're both out on the movie. Ultimately, yeah. I think the ideas in May December are very clear and are very important. After sitting with them, that's where I'm. That's where I've come on the movie. Yeah, that's ideas. fine. It's and just it
0: was a lifetime movie, like
1: purposely. And I think that's interesting. I know, interesting. But, I know like, but, yeah, but okay, also, so
0: purposely, but also then it was a lifetime movie. Okay, so <laughs> which for, by the way, I want to say. Not, I watched a lot growing yeah. up like lifetime movies because yeah, yeah. my mom was like watched a lot of lifetime movies and like if you're you know I mean these are my like childhood memories if anyone sh- shares these yeah but they could be like really thrilling mysteries you know what I mean like yes yeah. very like um, like well they're ex- knowing yeah. escape is similar like piano kind of things so but but when it feels like overly serious in that same genre even if it's knowing I don't care it's like and then it goes slow Like, it's like so slow.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, the appeal of those movies that you're talking about is that they know the audience has an expectation and what they do with that expectation is they don't subvert it necessarily, but they just like heighten it and like, that's it. And so the film is doing the same thing. So it's, it's yeah. Okay. So my point was, is that I do think a lot of people are going to enjoy this movie because it's going to speak to them and its ideas. And not just those people who are interested in like exploitation melodramas, like the ones that you're talking about, mm-hmm. or not even people who like true crime documentaries or pop culture celebrity podcasts or the, whatever the next serial killer TV series is about Jeffrey Dahmer. I I also think this movie isn't just for those people or like kind of commenting on those people, mm-hmm. but it's also about, it has deeper character studies that I do think people are going to be taken by. There's a lot here about how trauma can be cyclical or even how some might project trauma onto other people when it is convenient for them, when they feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. like the audience. And I do think people are going to walk away from this movie maybe having a little bit more of a language for how to express their own un- discomfort in this land in this current landscape, not just the modern one but the contemporary one of exploit- exploitation TV and movies. Yeah. And I do think the movie's giving people a little bit of language for that. But all that to say, to back you up here, um, I I don't really like this movie. <laughs> yeah, and I I I think I understand what it is attempting to do, and so I feel comfortable about saying that. Though I feel bad about it, but I also don't because it's like a Netflix movie, and yeah. so like there isn't really something there isn't like the art was already sacrificed. It's a streaming film, so like I under I know it's going to theaters, and I know people are seeing it in theaters, but like I feel comfortable talking about it in that that way, but. There are points of the film that I think are, are good. Like, for for example, I already mentioned the motivations are interesting to me. I think the performances are pretty good. I think people have mentioned...
0: I think their performances are good too, yeah.
1: I think Julianne Moore is, is doing something. I like <laughs> Natalie Portman. I think Charles Melton is pretty incredible in moments, especially two moments in particular. I, I agree. Yeah. On a rooftop with his son. Mm-hmm. And then another moment behind a fence looking at graduation yeah. that... If he would win an Oscar, that would be the moment. I yeah. think that was really... Layered. He's he's conveying a lot through his physical performance. Yes. Um, and and again, the movie is exploring like a very important subject matter with a very unique vision for his character specifically. Uh, and then also you have this like added tension between Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore's character, who is playing the real idea of Gracie. Is it the Gracie that is Julianne Moore or is it the actress who believes she understands the psychology of Gracie? Not unlike how audiences think they understand, you know, the, the predators in the films or documentaries that they watch or exploit. And so that dynamic is fascinating to me. And it does feel inspired by like a Cirque film or Bergman, like with persona. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking about persona yeah. when watching this. So well, it, that
0: was an inspiration for him. So,
1: okay. I mean, it felt like it was for sure. Yeah. Uh, But I think why this movie doesn't completely work for me is for two reasons. Number one, things that you've already mentioned, but I think it is an ambitious exploration of tone that doesn't completely work. And I think it's commentary on what you were mentioning, lifetime exploitation projects like Mm -hmm. pulpy, meta, pop psychology, elevated movies in television or in theaters. I think it's commentary on those projects is clear, but also contradictory for the exact reasons that you're talking about. And uh, I think ultimately it's this kind of I keep saying tone, but I'll explain it in a second. But there is an unexacting tone. For example, there are like very self-aware framing devices. Uh, It's kind of hard to explain if listeners have not seen the film, but the movie is crafted like an 80s TV show or a lifetime film from the 90s or 2000s that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. And so it's trying to have this meta commentary on that subject in this era that I don't find all that successful because it's commenting on exploitation tabloid culture while also being a movie still adding to exploitation tabloid culture in the movie's also critiquing actors and consumers of the performances that reenact tragedies while also being a film that's doing the exact same thing so it's kind of a paradox that this movie's yeah. running into and so that all isn't totally effective for me either
0: well that's also the thing i think there are definitely moments where they kind of explore the idea of like of predatory behavior um, yeah. of violence, but I also think that it doesn't do a good enough job because, yeah. because like you're saying, like I think it has too much on its plate to uh, ultimately address. And because it leaves you, it's supposed to put you at a distance because it's supposed to be this again, like lifetime uh genre, uh, but commenting on that exactly like you said, yeah, it's unable to fully do that. So it, just, again, feels like a lifetime movie. <laughs> well,
1: to add to that, there was also this added layer of like how performative Americans are. And that also fell flat for me because of the dialogue, which isn't something we've talked about too much, but it's yeah. almost like a surrealist dialogue. It's it's very absurd conversations. And people mm-hmm. are using like, I've seen people use images or clips from the movie already on film Twitter saying how great some of the scenes are. But the, the writing is so odd to me between the characters. And I know intentionally, but sometimes like, when you have this added technical uh, meta-ness, when you have this like intentionally funny and frightening piano key drop, it totally complicates the movie because you have like also these additional overtly obvious and ironic metaphors like with the butterflies that you were mentioning earlier. Mm -hmm. So there's this overwhelming sense of, again, knowingness in the movie. And I think the film, again, is trying to comment on contradictions of Americanism and our identities being based out of artifice. So I was just kind of annoyed a little bit, like how you were saying by the end of the film, because I felt like I was trying to understand how self-aware the movie was. And I just really don't care for self-deconstructing psychological melodramas that don't find like an exacting tone. I think if you're going to self-deconstruct your own genre or narrative it's got to really be perfect like that's yeah. a really difficult thing to do it's a very ambitious thing to do it's very bold and i and i think it's commendable what todd haynes and his crew were doing in this movie but to me that tonal issue is really why the movie never worked for me even though i know i was watching something well made and well thought out i felt a real conflict of like not managing conflicting tones that left the film open to like this atmosphere that was totally puzzling And because of that, like the unexacting balance of tone, there are these hard to uh, doubt, like weirdly comical moments in the movie that don't capture those conflicting tones well enough, considering it's a a multi-genre story with so much on its mind, maybe too much, because this film is like, it's a real life tragic situation. So those tonal choices are even more weird because then the movie feels It's not irresponsible, but it just doesn't feel right.
0: Yeah. Well, and I also think that like there. So the whole conversation of uh, people reading it as camp shouldn't be reading it as as camp or people who think it's funny are are, like in terms of the piano drop, because when Mm -hmm. you watch it, if you haven't seen it, like you'll understand what we mean. There are certain like um moments that are heightened and kind of like humorous because yeah. of the tone pacing music and then performance the way that the shots are layered in yes. that way and the, and you know the score and, and performances and i think that um I don't, but I disagree with that. Actually. I feel like, well, if people felt like this was like, there was this humorous part of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's people were uncomfortable with the subject matter. I genuinely think they didn't, um, you know, go into the subject matter enough. Number one. And then because of that, the like music choices and the certain framing devices and the, the, yeah. And the, and the dialogue, like all those different choices then created maybe something that like an effect that maybe you didn't want to, you know, as a filmmaker, but it does have like, it's just like, it's like, if you're like, um, you know, if you're like telling someone, you know, they're like giving a speech or something and you're like, Hey, just so you know, like when you said this, like it had this effect. I don't know if that's like what you totally wanted like um from your audience and then they'd go back and edit it you know what i mean it's right. like so like i felt like it was more so that situation um where it was like hey you know i think this these choices just like genuinely didn't work maybe the way that they wanted them to i don't know if it's a criticism of like the audience doesn't know how to read this. That
1: is interesting. I think what Kelsey's talking about is the camp language around the film. A lot of people have been using that word camp for the movie online and have been kind of like uh, laughed at a little bit in social, which is understandable. Uh, But to me, like if we ever use that word on this podcast, we usually use camp when we're trying to describe a text with like a negative connotation, unless of course the film is self-aware of it trying to capture a camp Humor, something that's elevated, absurdist. What comes to mind, obviously, is something like Barbie or literally Theater Camp earlier this year. I think May December, though, is mostly a character study in a melodramatic narrative and also very tragic, but then sometimes it can feel surreal. And then it also, I think, accidentally, because of that surrealness, it has this intentional, but also unintentional, darkly comical vibe running through it. And therefore, I feel like it's trying to capture this. And I do believe Todd Haynes is doing this based on his filmography. He's trying to capture this fleeting tone. You know, he's talked about in interviews that audiences want to be told how to feel in movies. And he wanted to do, to do the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. I do think he accomplished that. But to me, it comes off as all over the place. Not like yeah. a, it, there's nothing. I don't think there was something thematically poignant about the imbalance of tone. And, and instead, I think people are looking at it from an, uh, a humor Perspective, And therefore, I think people are identifying that humor as camp. So I understand why f- why Haynes and people who love this movie don't like that word camp. Uh, but again, I think what people are locating with using camp is that the movie can feel too absurd sometimes. Yeah, and then it feels act like, like heightened. It, it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's trying so hard to capture this contradictory vibe. And you can kind of feel how hard it's trying in the performances and then the technical choices. I just feel the effort. I think that's what you were talking about earlier. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And I think maybe I'm just like a little extra salty coming off of Saltburn, you know, because okay, yeah. so many like critics um who I really respect were like Emerald Fennell is trying too hard to provoke audiences. Yeah. And I, you know, you can listen to our Saltburn episode. Yeah. Like I feel uh, the opposite about that, but like, and I would understand a if cautionary
1: tale for the wealthy.
0: Yeah, oh my god. But I would understand if people like didn't love it. Like that's not yeah. what you know. I I wasn't like that was like the the perfect movie, best movie of the year. But I really, you know, I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was like successful in its choices, and it was knowingly provocative, but it mm-hmm. did it in a way that I think captured humor when it wanted to capture humor Mm -hmm. captured kind of like this unsettling vibe when it wanted to there was way more control of the material and so I not even to compare them and again like I wouldn't even compare them we wouldn't even probably do a podcast about this episode if there wasn't so much uh maybe like divide on people like loving this um but but I think that uh you know this movie is actually doing what what I think people are talking about like Emerald Fennell Um, doing, even though I don't agree with, with, you know, that part, but I think that like it is knowingly provoking and I, again, like what you, like you said, I feel the effort and it's kind of just like, okay, like, you know, like for, for me,
1: do we boil it down to tone? Yeah. Because I feel like I was trying to think of movies that are recent, that are mainstream that captured a blend of contradictory tones that were a little bit paradoxical. And that's why I came back to Jordan Peele's Nope, because I think that movie actually is about very similar ideas to May, December, which is odd about like marginalized Mm -hmm. identities being left with oppressive tools to like exploit spectacle and peel making a movie that is contradictory uh, is very odd considering it was like a hundred million dollar IMAX film. And I think it was also trying to do this self critique thing. And Jordan Peele sort of talked about that on press recently. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think May, December is trying to, kind of self-deconstruct and self-criticize. Yeah. It's really hard to do that. And I think if you're a movie in that, let's call it the, the self-critiquing genre, yeah. if you're in that lane, it's really difficult because you have to perfectly blur those lines of tone. And if you don't successfully do that, then your movie gets identified as something comfortable, like a melodrama or camp. And because there are these, again, like these these unsuccessful tone, tone issues that we're talking about, tonal problems that we personally think in our opinion are issues, then I don't think the movie gets to be like fully realized with its story. And so then by the end, you're kind of felt lefting left like bored, like how you were saying or wanting more like how I was feeling.
0: Yeah. And I think like, you know, if I, I haven't watched a lot of interviews for this movie, but I'm sure like, I would be like, okay, yeah, I understand that you are interested in a theme that does like matter. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, that is talking about something that's timely. Like, again, that's not what I'm disagreeing with. It's just, I genuinely, for me, like the choices were not successful,
1: you know, let's talk about some extra credits of May, December, just to be positive here. (laughs) I want to give extra credit to Corey, Michael Smith, his performance as Georgie, who is Grace's first son, the oldest son, who is the lead singer of the restaurant band. I thought he was electric. Yeah. I think he literally took over the movie in the only two scenes or three scenes he was in. And I know he's worked quite a bit in Haynes filmography and his work, but I know him best, (laughs) which is funny to see him in this movie as the Riddler in Gotham. Yeah. Which was hilarious because he had that kind of (laughs) same chaotic electricity that he brought to the screen from that TV show, but in this film, but he was kind of perfect for what Haynes was trying to capture, like in his tone, like he knew exactly the project. And I think if you're going to try to capture contradictory tones, you got to cast people like this. Like he knew the assignment really well.
0: Yeah. He was great. Um, that's so funny because you immediately when you saw him, you were like, where do I know him from? Yeah. Because you're right. He like has such a presence. Like he, I like him a takes lot. over, uh, like a scene that he's in when we meet him Um, and he has one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, um, which this isn't a spoiler. If you haven't seen it, don't worry. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's like, Hey, you know what? Like a music producer on movies, like (laughs) picking music for movies. I'd be great at that. Yeah. (laughs) I tell
1: myself that all the time about movie trailers. I'd be like, I'd be great cutting a movie trailer. I'd be so good at editing those. Uh, yeah. I just thought he was like vibrating at all kinds of frequencies that I hope we see more from him in the future. I really loved his performance.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what
1: about you? Any extra credits for May, December?
0: Yeah, I'll go ahead and give mine to um Charles Melton, yeah, who plays great. Joe. Yeah. I think just the way that like like you were talking about earlier, his performance, his physical performance uh, was really just great. And I think that he is someone who is going to possibly get Oscar Buzz kind of like a Paul Meskell, oh, uh, yeah, conversation from After Sun. Like his just emotional performance was so Well done. I mean, someone who's new to me.
1: Both of those performances are weirdly very similar in how they're physically, like how much, how much they can convey physically. Yeah. Uh, A lot of shrugging shoulders, a lot of soft spoken energy going through a very difficult time, not expressing their feelings. Yeah. It's really, it's really great. Um, As for Renaissance, should we talk Renaissance?
0: Yes. Let's do it.
1: So Beyonce, we went to see Beyonce a few years ago, actually, right before the pandemic
0: in Philly. Let's start there. That was a
1: great time.
0: It was. I want to say that up front, okay?
1: (laughs) Because I know you're going to go negative right away. Uh, Those were very expensive (laughs) concert tickets that we saw for a Beyonce concert where we saw her in Philly. And she was there for about 30% of the concert.
0: Yeah. Well, we... It was not like We later found out that she was sick. And like, so... Yeah, so Trey got me Beyonce tickets uh, for my birthday. Yeah. And it was like a Jay-Z and Beyonce concert.
1: Well, that was not what the ticket said. Oh, okay. So (laughs) this whole tour was basically a Beyonce tour. What happened was Beyonce (laughs) came out afterwards, said she had gotten sick on tour for a few weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she kind of, I think like, like, maybe 25 minutes into the concert, she was like, I have a special guest for y'all. And then Jay-Z came out. And we were like, And cool. I went crazy. And then the guy next to me went crazy and his wife immediately sat down. <laughs> and it was really, it was a hilarious moment where you just saw the crowd you go. You
0: literally saw all the men Not get that out. women don't like
1: Jay-Z, but like you see all the men stand up from their seats. They were already supporting Beyonce, but for some reason, the whole crowd energy changed to a Jay-Z concert, yeah. which is a really cool, like, event to explain but also jay-z tickets would have probably been cheaper so that's just yeah my, and my then he stayed for the,
0: the whole concert um yes, i did. thought it was like just like a it was quick, cool though yeah no i mean like i like jay-z but i just was like expecting beyonce obviously like i yeah. wanted to go to a beyonce concert so i was like personally a little disappointed i know that artists obviously like oh my god yeah and, yeah yeah like, but but yeah, like for me, I was a little disappointed. I was just
1: financially disappointed. Like just <laughs> yeah. that, that's really it for me. I just, a refund would have been cool. I do like surprises and that would definitely was a surprise at a concert, <laughs> like an event like that. So just so everybody knows, that's like our mindset going into Renaissance. I was excited because I thought it would be a really cool idea to like reintroduce ourselves to the Beyonce experience, but actually get more of the full experience yeah. from a theater seat. <laughs> uh, so like it's pros and cons. So I didn't know much about renaissance like the tour and the the movie Mm -hmm. uh going into the film this is beyonce's documentary concert film but after leaving the movie i was floored it this was such an epic experience in the the theater it like through the first 45 minutes i immediately understood top gun maverick people (laughs) so much more like after watching this not necessarily thematically but just like (laughs) The sensory experience. Yeah. Like this was such a concert at the movie theater, yeah. but also a lot more. You get a peek into the lives of the people on stage. You get a peek into Beyonce's life, her family life, her director life. This movie deserves that document uh, documentary like identity because yeah. I think a lot of concert films should just be called concert films because they often are like Taylor mm-hmm. Swift's film. But this movie you get so much background in And I guess thematically this movie does have themes like the the album obviously does. The music does, but the film feels like it does too because Beyonce is talking to the crowd, talking to the theater audience, like actually looking into the camera in certain moments. Mm -hmm. And the movie is about acceptance and reclaiming identity and agency And whether you are a Beyonce fan or not, you can really feel the crowd in the theater, in the concerts. People feel so welcomed. And there is this collective emotion that's really felt. And I thought it was just an awesome experience to see this movie with people. I even cried like two or three times yeah, because it was a sensory overload more than anything, but also because we got it behind the scenes of everyone's lives.
0: Yeah, I think... um I, I have so much to say because I want to talk about like the editing. Oh my God. Like, I can't wait the, to get to the technical yeah, the aspects. Sequences like yeah. with Beyonce behind the scenes and the crew. Um, but I think like, I just want to stick on what you were saying first in, in terms of like just the acceptance, like within the arenas of the fans and mm-hmm. and, and also like the movie theater experience. I think that like a lot of times, right. uh, Pop stars, like artists mm-hmm. in general, have to reinvent themselves in a lot of different ways to have a long career, right? Like, we've seen a lot of really successful artists who have been a lo- around for a long time do that. Yeah. Um, so, like, there are also, like, aspects, obviously, like, of artists, like, doing something for commercial reasons. The
1: business. Reasons. I was about but, to get yeah. into that before we go too much into loving yeah. it. Yeah. But,
0: I mean, I do think that, like, in terms of, like, extra credit, like, Beyonce is, like, rebranding in in terms of, like, um, acceptance. And or inclusive. Like, yeah. yeah. It, it's
1: really, really inclusive message that she's sending out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which I think is cool because we don't see artists necessarily, like doing that
1: yeah they feel pressured to do that for sure but some of them don't and you can like you know you can project politics onto those choices too which is interesting uh so let's talk about maybe that business aspect really quickly so we can get into that editing and maybe this being one of the Mm -hmm. most well-made movies this year which is insane (laughs) um so seriously like it's crazy yeah uh so while this was like a, a genuinely incredible theater experience and i got more of an appreciation up close of like what performers do for example throughout these tours Uh, again speaking about the business i did feel the business of this movie similar to how i felt the business of top gun maverick so i'm going to use that as the comparison to this film Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i like renaissance isn't a political film by any means but it's also a low-key political film and i think i mean that more economically you can kind of feel the financial agenda if that makes sense and this film goes out of its way to definitely like portray beyonce in a good light if not idolize beyonce a little bit and if you zoom out if you kind of like if you zoom out a little bit and you're a fan but like just maybe even like an above average fan like us you can kind of feel the corporation of it all and the movie operates in this very controlled way yeah and i think it also acts as a, a little bit of a hagiography sort of like this narrative that's trying to rebrand somebody to fit this narrative of of the youth right now, for example. So that was interesting. I I was a little bit like unsettled by all the artificial intelligence themes and (laughs) like robots everywhere in the backdrop. Like I know that's just like a part of the revolutionary theme of the album and like not caring anymore and just like accepting who you are. But I thought that was like an interesting thing to accept about our dystopian contemporary world. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, I think it's like something that like we would probably note for any uh, musician, you know, because Mm -hmm. I've seen like I have, by the way, I have not seen like the whole spread of music documentaries or musician documentaries. So I want to be upfront about that too. But just like recent uh, ones that I've seen, um, like Miss Americana, Taylor Swift, Uh, and what was the other one? Lady Lady Gaga. Oh, the Gaga one was good. Yeah. Yeah. We're both great. Um, but you, you know, it's just ultimately like a part of, even if you're watching like an actor documentary, right. You Mm -hmm. like feel that this person is a brand and there are choices that are made accordingly. It's just like a part of something that you can't really escape. Um, but that being said, um, I just like genuinely loved this this movie as yeah. like a movie you know documentary yeah uh, there there were parts where i got emotional not only because of the music right like it just overwhelming mm-hmm. um experience that it is to hear a beautiful voice which is (laughs)
1: multiplied in the theater like because of the soundscape
0: yes yeah um but yeah i i think i did i already say this like i've cried at every concert i've been to you know i mean
1: yeah i'll just help you out there same i've cried at a lot of the concerts (laughs) i've been to yeah
0: i think when trey went to when we went to adele uh, that
1: was a life changing experience. Yeah, that, honestly.
0: And I don't know if Trey had listened. It's the to The whitest
1: like, thing I've ever said. <laughs>
0: Dude, but it that honestly many songs was uh, about like from Adele. But yeah. uh, he was like, "Oh my god," because uh, yeah, it is. It's a similar like thing with like such a like powerful voice, um, similar to Beyonce. So there's a
1: song called Million Years Ago by mm-hmm. Adele that I think is the best song I've ever heard in my entire life, and yeah. it's also like I get emo- I'm getting emotional just <laughs> thinking about the lyrics. That's it's all I have to say about Adele.
0: Yeah. Um, I, it, I think it's also a great song. I really wanted to hear all I ask, uh, but mm-hmm. she didn't play it at the show that we went to. I was sad. But... She
1: gives a great concert. Though. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway though, uh, oh, <laughs> Trey, Trey, do you want to say what you wrote in your notes? For what? For like the Beyonce. Concert. Oh, I said
1: if Adele ever makes one of these, we are screwed <laughs> because we because <laughs> we like Beyonce and I mean I listen to I listen to a lot of rap music, so then I come it comes across like sometimes I come across Beyonce's work, yeah. uh, but for Adele, like I think that is some of the most emotionally capturing music out right now. Well, like yeah, every I single think one the, of her albums, the is songs just,
0: themselves are like emotional.
1: Um, Yeah, she finds something to find something she finds anything that is emotionally poignant and then just kind of multiplies it by 10 in her lyrics like. If I just, I hope the best for her, but if like semi negative things can continue happening to her, I'm happy with that because we'll keep continue to get albums.
0: Oh, I was like, what?
1: (laughs) no, I don't mean that in a mean, cruel (laughs) way. I just, I don't know what else she's going to have to write about. She's like doing so well for herself now. Yeah. Isn't she like, isn't yeah. She's like a family and stuff now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't don't really like, I don't know the celebrity status. I know. Trainer is so bad at this. We don't follow like the celebrity lives. No, I think but, we're good at
1: this. Yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't do that. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Only actors. Uh, well, I guess yeah. we don't follow their lives. Either. No, we, we don't. I was going to bring this up later. Careers. I was surprised yeah. how much we love
1: this Beyonce documentary because we are not celebrity centered as a movie yeah. podcast. Like even though we're in quote unquote a pop culture space and like entertainment slash media, we are very much like film analysis. Like there is yeah. like nothing really... Like here is why I love. Jake yeah, we wouldn't Gyllenhaal normally like do yeah. uh,
0: like music documentaries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think like beyond being emotional about the music itself, because like I, I love Beyonce. Um, mm-hmm. and and her music, but there were also like moments of the documentaries like storyline and narrative itself yeah. that were really powerful, like. Um, I felt there just, was like a
1: script. It was like really yeah, controlled. Like they yeah. knew where they were going every, every scene.
0: Yeah. There were like moments with her and her daughter, blue Ivy. Mm-hmm. And like also Jay-Z's response to, um, incredible. Yeah. Blue Ivy, like dancing on stage yeah. was so emotional, I think, just to like see, I that, don't know, that was just the biggest like to see parental yeah, support yeah, for like Any a kid who's going support, through a tough time. Anytime
1: yeah. you see an awkward stage for a kid just trying yeah. to be creative, like to see parents being so into that is just great yeah I love that
0: I know and I think maybe like you know we talked about this on theater camp too but maybe kind of like the teacher yeah in us like probably just like being like oh yeah. my god like you know yeah kids are so insecure and yeah. like it's if it's a win for them you know that's so right. great um but before yeah.
1: <laughs> we before we move on uh to the technical aspects of why this was such an like successful film. I do want to say like my last thing about the Maverick thing. I also okay. thought of Avatar, <laughs> the way of water. Okay. And I'm just continuing this, this trend of talking about big blockbusters because there is something about the escapism of this Beyonce film that is really interesting because it's all about creating your own narrative while also being focused on something human, which is what Topka Maverick is about and also Avatar The Way of Water. And I only bring up those movies to say that those are Oscar nominee blockbusters. Yeah. And I was thinking about Best Picture nominees yeah. while watching this movie. Do you think that this could be a Best Picture nominee? Because I seriously, be for a so second, great. I thought that but it no, could be. no, I don't be. think so. Because, I just don't think
0: music documentaries in general. I well, mean, actually, I don't know the history on that, so I, I don't I'm like. going
1: to go on a limb and say that this is one of the most well crafted and propulsive movies I have seen in like two or three years. It is so well made, from stage design to costumes to cinematography, different lenses and cameras, different camera angles, different lightings. Like the lighting system was insane. Yeah. The choreography was so dynamic the vocal and sound design like I was just again floored with the this production style of this movie and also what you mentioned earlier the most important aspect of this film is editing there are multiple editors on this film it is so well crafted I think Oppenheimer will probably be the, the loudest contender for best a- edited film, but I do think that this should get a nomination for I, best edited film.
0: I completely agree. I I would I want to go back to see this with uh, Kira because our, yeah. we invited a friend who just like couldn't make it, and I want to go back for the editing. Like, I'll go
1: back too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is expensive.
0: That, that I've already given true. Beyonce a lot of our that money. <laughs>
1: You know, this the, time was great because tickets
0: were expensive. Yeah. I went to Renaissance,
1: being like, I wonder how much Jay Z is going to be in this because we paid a lot of money to watch a Jay Z <laughs> concert, and Jay Z is only in this for like four minutes, so that was that was fine. Yeah, uh, I am curious about what Kira thinks. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, but but anyway, like the reason I would like go back to see it again, um, like, was the editing was seriously like incredible. There were like sequences uh, during a song that it, it captures right like different concerts over this mm-hmm. tour where we would shoot like, or we would, um, like jump to different outfits that she was wearing, doing the same, like seamlessly like dance move or like saying the same thing. And it was like, uh, there were just like slow, like, like dolly, um, like edits with like slow-mos and, and then like fast paced cuts. It was incredible.
1: It was like an insanely maximalist edited project that was almost intoxicating in how it was structured. It was basically like Chazelle's Babylon on drugs. Like I was completely shocked <laughs> that I didn't feel taken out of it yeah. at any point because it's so much artifice and the way it's controlled and edited. It You really understand two things. You understand one, that this Renaissance tour, you understand the, the, the scope of it. Mm-hmm. And then two, you understand that there are like fifty something concerts being edited seamlessly together because of what you're saying, all the different outfits and whatnot. And there are moments where you feel like you're being placed on stage with Beyonce and the collaborators because they're making eye contact with the camera, so they're performing for the audience in the crowd, but they're also performing for the theater audience yes. at the same time. Yeah. So they're they're playing like two characters on stage, which is so difficult, I imagine. Uh, and also with the sound design, like guys, go see this in a theater, even though it's expensive, because we had like the best theater experience. It was Dolby speakers and like an IMAX size screen. Mm. And the, the Sonic experience is so wild. It's hard to describe. Our
0: seats were shaking. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, the bass was, yeah.
1: You don't have time to locate what is. Uh, controlled about this movie. Maybe you can feel the politics a little bit and and the kind of sentimentality that's being like very much designed, but the technical choices that are being made that are very much like heavy editing. You can't really pinpoint those because you are literally in a concert. Yeah. Like your, your seat is shaking like so wildly. Like when it first started shaking, (laughs) I turned to you and I was like, this is going to be a legitimate concert.
0: Yeah. And I think so like kind of what you were talking about along with the editing the directing of, of this movie Mm -hmm. is like phenomenal. So Beyonce is the writer and director of the movie. And like, uh, because of what's being captured on stage, like you said, it's, it's like both for the concert, but also like for the audience in the theater. And so there are so many moments where Beyonce is looking into the camera. There's one moment where she literally takes her finger and spins the camera and the, the lens turns upside down. It was you. crazy on
1: a big movie screen to see something. Yeah, and like because
0: that. she knows where everything is, yeah. it is like a completely immersive experience, but also just like a lot of fun because yeah. it's, it's not like, Oh, like we're watching her from afar. Just like, Mm -hmm. doing a concert which would be fine anyway yeah um but it it really does not like a vr experience or anything no that's what i was gonna say it's not it's it's more emotionally felt yeah um but it just feels like um really like um like felt and carefully planned Mm -hmm. to also thematically like build and to create like a um, just like a really like enjoyable experience.
1: It does that too, because Beyonce sets the frame, the framing of the movie is that she has like three different identities that she is the performer. Mm. She is the 40 year old mother and she's all and wife. And then she also is uh, a director. Yeah. And so she said this is like one of the hardest stages of her life, but also one of the one one of the stages she's welcoming the most because of how much like security she has now at this point in her life. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. And I thought it was really cool to see someone's perspective in like turning 40, even though this is like, you know, a gajillionaire. This yeah. is somebody who's very wealthy. <laughs> um, but I especially liked the director aspects of it. I liked seeing Beyonce showing us what it's like to direct something this large yeah it felt like a ridley scott behind the scenes (laughs) like one of his blu-rays of making like gladiator or something because beyonce is really either showing you directly or doing a voiceover of a camera moving through a stadium and like how it's built and you also get to see how she directs she's talking to her collaborators in this authentic way but also a commanding way and having to balance that dynamic especially as a woman filmmaker and has very clearly a distinct vision that she makes it like super clear with some of her collaborators that are pushing back on yeah. some things that she wants. Yeah, There
0: was a really like funny sequence, yeah. but also like it was like, I thought great that she was like showing, yeah. you know, people like the obstacles that she goes through personally, even though she's Beyonce. Yeah. You know what yeah I mean, yeah. like she's still like facing these like, uh, aspects of people not taking her seriously. Exactly.
1: It is an added layer. Uh, and I thought it was really cool to see like how unforgiving she was when like wanting those things about her set and like how she wanted to change her set and the style of it, which it'll be interesting to see how critics talk about her because I hope this is all looked at in a positive light because The way that I'm talking about her, like as a commanding director, a little bit unforgiving, like relentless. These are all adjectives that critics often use to praise male auteur filmmakers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping they speak about her in a similar way because she has now revealed herself as not just a dynamic artist in the music industry, but like as a filmmaker, which is something I already knew because A.V. Rockwell, who directed 1001, one of our favorite films this year, came on our show and talked a little bit about, probably I think off mic, about her work on uh one of beyonce's like long music videos she has Mm. which is a really great one but she talked about like you you could tell that beyonce and all the questions she was asking yeah you could tell that she wanted to direct and and that might be something she's looking into which is weird because taylor swift is looking into that too so yeah a lot of artists right now um What was cool about Beyonce, though, outside of her claiming this director position was she was constantly giving screen time to the people behind the scenes, which we mentioned earlier. There is literally like a good 45 minutes of this movie just giving a platform to young dancers and Mm -hmm. singers and designers and set creators and the crew at large, which was, to me, one, awesome, right? How, like, I think dynamic and diverse, the whole, like, cast the people are who are making this come to life but also revealing of the enormity of this project. And you get this insight into her collaborators and the stress of their lives and their backstories. And, you know, Beyonce's time as a director, obviously, and her family and her her own upbringing. And all of these clips are being mixed with all of her best hits from her latest album and some of her, you know, know, best hits of all of her albums with incredible sound mixes that, again, are like shaking your seats. Uh, So again, I, I recommend people go to this movie, even though it's three hours, you will leave satisfied I swear it is a widely entertaining and sometimes even like very emotional movie. It was like one of the most memorable collective theater experiences with a ton of great energy that I've had since Barbie mm-hmm. since uh maybe Barbarian but in a completely different way and then probably Avengers Endgame like pre-pandemic. So I feel like I feel like me and you were great re- recommenders for something like this movie because we're not like we've said we've seen the corporation that Beyonce or Taylor Swift
0: or, like, any they, artist as Yeah, a any brand. artist yeah. who is
1: popular right now. And we're saying, to, by the way,
0: we're all saying all women, but, like, you know, obviously, like, men yeah. are more so in this space. It's just that Absolutely. we happen to be more interested in watching the documentaries that are, well, like, about artists who are women. In
1: addition to that, though, women entrepreneurs in, like, the musical space are just also killing it right now more than the male artists are, like, on average, which is pretty interesting to watch like them kind of own the craft and also like try to insert themselves in the other forms like of art, like filmmaking, which is really cool because we're going to see a lot more dynamic artists get those opportunities now that Taylor and Beyonce have succeeded at such a high level. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I was trying to say was that I think we're great recommenders for something like this because we are not interested in celebrity culture and we don't have that relationship to Beyonce, even though we love her music, we're not like idealizing her anyway or, or glorifying her. And so when, when I say I recommend to go see this, like, I mean, it is like an Epic massive theater experience. It's unforgettable. Go yeah, see this movie.
0: Definitely. And also I think like the film, like as, as a film, right? Like it's so successful in pulling its audience in, um, to like, e- even so, like, for example, I'm not really like interested in fashion, um, like personally, mm-hmm. but there is a storyline where Beyonce goes into, Um, you know, her experience growing up and her relationship with her uncle Johnny and like her relationship to fashion and his relationship to fashion as something that like saved him. Yeah. um, That was really beautiful and also really emotional. And I think that like this movie um, is successful as a film in that way yeah, where it's able to like really like pull the audience in and bring home like themes that I think are relevant and Mm -hmm. like historically meaningful. Mm -hmm. And so I think like as a film too, I recommend going to see this movie.
1: Can we talk extra credits? Yeah. Because mine is going to go to a scene that is in the middle of a Blue Ivy chapter of the movie, which we haven't really talked about, but Blue Ivy, uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z's daughter has like a 30 minute chapter of this Mm -hmm. film. And at one point, Beyonce is shown talking to her music collaborators off I guess offset because yeah they're, they're
0: like deciding what the set list planning is going for to be. Renaissance. Yeah. yeah.
1: And Beyonce's like, we might have to cut diva and blue Ivy's like, mom, you can't cut diva. And then she's like, thank you, but do not speak over people. I, just thought, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was an awesome like parenting scene.
0: Yeah. It was a great, <laughs> really parenting funny scene to include. Yeah.
1: Just showing her reaction to reacting to, to Beyonce saying that, uh, that, that whole chapter though, that blue Ivy chapter when they started it, I was like, huh? are they just trying to build the brand of their daughter now yeah, I, but then by yeah. the end of it i actually thought it was like a pretty special chapter in a very tough part of a child's life yeah. that i would hope you know their daughter looks back on and like and is like that's a really you know important know. moment for of my life for me film, i was thinking my like
0: life. if i were looking back at like a, a- uh, you know, footage of an 11 year old me, personally, like dancing, up. regardless. <laughs> yeah, like it, it would just be like cringy. So like, yeah, that footage is gonna be there forever. No, I thought but, she was good though. But no, I thought she was, yeah, yeah, good, and it was really like it was beautiful. You know, I was like a, a family Jay-Z. story that that especially the crowd. Like, seeing Beyonce and like Blue Ivy on on stage together, yeah. and then the cut to uh, Jay-Z in the crowd, like you said, like right. cheering her on was yeah. like immediately, obviously like also tears. I
1: forget her name, but blue Ivy had this mentor dancer who also oh, came yeah. in like, kind of like, uh, hyped her up on mm-hmm. stage was really sick because she also tracked the camera yeah. along and made eye contact. And it was just that kind of like, you could feel the design and effort. Sure. But it was so effective. Uh, the other extra credit I gave, uh, is to America has a problem because it they waited to the end of the movie to do "America Has a Problem," which mm-hmm. is my favorite song on the Renaissance album, and uh, it features Kendrick Lamar. I think on the remix. And so, I when they started playing that, I was like, "Wow, they're not going to get Kendrick because they yeah. they had Kendrick's voice come over like just to do his like oh, his bit okay, of the yeah. song." And I was like, "Wow, they're not they didn't get him because they had some other artists there. They had people in the crowd, they had people on stage, but Kendrick was really the one I wanted to see pretty badly. Yeah, uh, especially on this song." And they gave us some time toward the end of the song. And I was like, okay, he's not here. (laughs) That's fine. And then he comes up and then he does his like two minutes. And then he goes back down in a really cool fashion where he just kind of respected Beyonce. He was like, I'm not going to stay up here any longer. So I thought that was pretty sick.
0: Yeah, no, that was awesome. I think my extra credit uh, goes to what we talked about before, but um, one, well, actually I have two. One is just watching Beyonce behind the scenes. Like, having conversations, like uh, waking up at, you know, whatever hour of the morning, Mm -hmm. going through every single detail, um, like, really making sure the lights are like perfect even for until the last show like,
1: while someone's like doing her makeup. You yeah, know what I mean? Like having yeah. to like orchestrate all of this while like, while
0: focusing on performing, someone's putting
1: on her costume while she has the lyrics from front of her while she's editing things still.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. it's
1: insane actually like how dynamic everything is that she has to do.
0: Yeah. It's like really like cool to see. Um, and I also think that just from like well, I now I have three. Okay, so like then the other one is um just Beyonce like talking about being forty and yeah. like like we said like we know that this person has like so much money so you know obviously like watching this I'm like how is someone like so hot like at forty and in shape but that was the
1: first thing you mentioned <laughs> yeah. when we walked out and I was I like mean,
0: I say I say that for like every artist she knows documentary. all the connects um like Lady Gaga yeah like you know yeah uh, but. But so anyway, um, of, of course, like this person has a lot of money to like per, have personal trainers, like an amazing skincare routine, X, Y, Z. Yeah. But got
1: all the lotion. There's, yeah. Like all those, the, all the
0: skincare, the yeah.
1: bag, the eye bag lotion. Yeah. She's got it um, all.
0: Yeah. We've, we've now talked about skincare in like two episodes. In a
1: row. You can tell we're almost 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But uh, anyway, oh, I just think it, it's like nice to see, right. Even if it's maybe like an unrealistic kind of like people having time to for their health during their like yeah. nine to five or work schedule. Um, just seeing someone like at 40 being like, yeah, like it is awesome getting older, you know, like you become more secure and yeah.
1: Yeah. It was definitely like a privileged experience. Sure. It was definitely like, yeah. I was, was happy like her for her. her yacht I wasn't like, like happy yeah. for the crowd who was turning 40. Cause yeah. I'm like, everyone else just paid like two grand, <laughs> Like, their rent to come and see this. (laughs) Okay, yeah, Yeah.
0: but... But anyway, I (laughs) I just think that there's like obviously not a lot of representation, right, in terms of age and especially
1: um, 40-year-old women too. Yeah. And also like
0: even like for for artists, for like actors, like in the entertainment business, Mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not a lot of time that like we celebrate age. It's more so like we, you know, always talk about how like actors replace other actors or like artists replace other artists, specifically women like at a certain age. And like so, I thought that was really uh, cool. Um And the third thing that I want to talk about, we already just mentioned it briefly, but I loved um, the... Well, you already said, like, the the behind-the-scenes with, like, the dancer stories, Mm -hmm. the cuts to the crowd. um, Just watching people, like, it just have like a life-changing like uh, emotional experience like at a Beyonce concert there
1: was uh, crying and hugging yeah there was people dancing looking at the camera like they knew exactly every single word to some yes. of the songs yeah
0: but there uh was a specific not dancer but a musician who uh-huh. is in Beyonce's like ensemble who she's known for a really long time and uh she was pregnant during the right 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 um in the in the background like during the the full concert And we already mentioned it earlier in the pod, but I just want to like highlight the second piece of that storyline in the film where it just shows her like telling Beyonce, like, Hey, I'm pregnant. I'm going to just be like playing on stage. And like, yeah, I just thought that was a really beautiful moment because a lot of times, and obviously it's circumstantial, but there can be like anxiety about like careers being cut off. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Like as a woman and like telling people that you are pregnant. And so like, I just thought like, the immediate obviously like embrace understanding like enthusiasm like happiness for the music and the whole
1: room listening in and, and, and like erupting yeah. when Beyonce like gives her a hug yeah, yeah. Cool. I just thought
0: it was like a really great moment
1: and it felt really authentic because the woman who brought it up that she was pregnant like she actually seemed very nervous to like talk to Beyonce about it and then Beyonce was like very comforting and was yeah. like yeah let's do this no yeah. problem and they cut to her then like pregnant dancing and yeah. killing or doing music I forget what she was doing exactly but yeah, yeah. she had an instrument but yeah. All right. That was the extra credits of Beyonce's Renaissance. The extra credits of May, December. Any other thoughts on these films? What about like concert films? What is going on right now? Like this year we have obviously Taylor Swift. We have Beyonce. We have uh what was the other one? Talking heads. Stop making mm-hmm. sense. What
0: a lot of Twitter, uh, funny videos, you know, of people like dancing in a theater.
1: Yes. No, yeah. I've enjoyed those. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the scary one from the Taylor Swift <laughs> the, like, one was Gold-ish a little bit one. frightening. Yeah. The mid-summer, like midsummer one. Yeah. Uh, but do you think that like this is, you know, like our fears about Mattel and Marvel. I also want to
0: say, because I feel like we've like low key, like sounded uh, negative towards Taylor Swift. We don't have any ill feelings
1: I mean, it's Taylor Swift. Yeah. But we're We're like, like, we're part of that young millennial old Gen Z generation that had a different relationship. Yeah. I listened to Taylor Swift Swift when
0: I was like in middle school. Right. Like I have a a very like middle school angsty relationship to Taylor Swift. And I know maybe some people like people our age definitely like still have like, uh, had a relationship like even now, like love Taylor Swift, which like all, all for you, you know, like that's awesome. Um, I just not like personally, I just like,
1: Well, when I got, when I first started teaching and I remember the kids are playing a Taylor Swift song, like back in 2018, it was like one of her like pop songs. Like, look what, look what you made me do. Yes. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, who did this? And they're the whole class stared at me and they're like, you don't know who sang this. And I was like, no. (laughs) And they were like Taylor Swift. And I said, isn't she like a country conservative superstar? Like what? Like, and they're like, no, she's like a pop star. But like in our generation, like when we grew up, she was in that country music Lane, yeah, you know what I mean, and, and so, also
0: like to to give. Her, I had no, like, yeah. I only
1: listened to rap music, so I was like, I have no conception of like who she is now, and so it is she has gone through like so many different eras, yeah, not to, and like know, also, no pun
0: um, yeah, that was uh, bad. Accident, I swear to uh, <laughs> God, but I also think that like, um, you know, that's something that like and Miss Americana, she like captured, and there, oh, is, they talk like, about it in that. Yeah. I, I mean, from what I remember, um, this is also like after I had a surgery, I w- watched this. So like, yeah. I don't know if I trust my memory, but, um, but I do remember her like kind of addressing, uh, this was like, I think it was like shot during the, Trump. It election? was. I
1: remember this now. Yes. But
0: but anyway, um, I think that she also has addressed just in terms of her like lyrics from podcasts that I've listened that I listened to um, that like her previous songs with like more like gendered, like, uh-huh. you know, like very specific like Romeo, Juliet, kind right? Of, uh, messages uh, have been like changed. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know though. She's gone I through an evolution. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's, it must be really tough to be like a superstar in your teenage years, like a Taylor Swift, like a Beyonce mm. and then like evolve with the culture and then feeling like you have to apologize for just being a kid or a young adult. Like that mm. must be very odd. Yeah. Um, and also
0: like in an industry where people made decisions for you. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's probably, yeah, that's a really good point. The, the only point I wanted to make about talking heads, Beyonce and Taylor Swift, as we leave out of here is like we have made, we have talked about like a future dystopian situation for the movie theater landscape that is completely devoid of thematically provocative Mm -hmm. movies and then completely taken over by uh escapism marvel mattel whatever you want to name like mission impossible Mm -hmm. 17 like whatever um but i think what's interesting is this is this the future of theaters live music like entertainment thrills I I like think this kind of definitely
0: a part of I went it, to the but... bathroom
1: halfway through Beyonce and two oh, people yeah. were standing outside of my door and then like stopped me we were like hey do you mind telling me real quick because it doesn't say anything on the sign like what are you all watching in there <laughs> and I was like it's the new Beyonce documentary and they're like what and I was like yeah it's like a Beyonce concert and they're like okay thanks but like you can tell how intrigued they were they could hear yeah. the audience they could hear how loud the speakers were and all the music uh so I guess this might be one of the future sign or the signs of what is to come in the future for theaters. Yeah. Cause, because apparently like Regal and AMC and Cinemark, like their stock and IMAX like went crazy over the past few weeks wow. because of the yeah. returns from Taylor Swift and, and what's coming with Beyonce. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't want to end on a negative note. I had a really <laughs> good time talking about the extra credits of May, December uh, and especially Beyonce So
0: yeah, should we tell people what's coming up real quick?
1: Yeah, so we have Ridley Scott and Napoleon coming up. We're going to dive into Ridley Scott's career. we are going to dive into Napoleon and talk about uh, the fragile man of the week, Napoleon Bonaparte. And then we will dive into Blade Runner after that. And then after that, like I said at the top of the pod, we have a lot of December new releases. Obviously on Patreon, we're going to be covering Phantom Thread and Catch Me If You Can from two of the greatest living filmmakers. So don't forget to follow our podcast on Spotify and Apple and shoot us five stars if you like what you heard. We are an independent show. So we we appreciate your support through your five stars. Yeah, or reviews if you and stars
0: go a long way. Thank leave us you. a
1: review. Yeah, we'd appreciate that on Apple too. And I've mentioned Patreon a lot today, but if you would like to sign up, the Patreon link is in the description. We've covered directors like Wes Anderson, Martin Scorsese, David Fincher, Ari Aster, and now Ridley Scott. There are 30 minute samples of all of those Patreon episodes on our main, main feed of, about whatever feed you're on on your podcast. And only for $5, you can become a member of Living Plus yes. <laughs> and get access to our full catalog of episodes. All right. Until next time with Ridley Scott and Napoleon, this has been Trey.
0: And this is Kelsey. Peace. Bye. So, do you like the show? I don't know what you're waiting for.
1: Cuff it. Today
0: ain't the day.
1: Okay. Zombie. Be deep in love.
0: How do we fix this? Because this is a very big problem.
1: I got this drink in my
0: cup. Woo, I'm out of breath. <laughs> we just need to simplify. Time is my biggest obstacle.